Mr. Danaher is not minding where they came from. I'm Josh Trienza. Of course, they came from Silver Screen, a podcast about films and us dissecting them each week. With me, as always, is Damien. How are we, Damien? I'm going great, buddy. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Well, that's all we can really hope for in this crazy world that we live in now. Truly is. Brexit, man. Anything's possible these days. This podcast might not be around next week. I might decide to leave. I'll have to get a new one in. He's going to have some real Uh. fucked up blonde hair. (laughs) Well, you know, don't set your standards too high. Well, I would have hoped that uh, Scoot would come onto the show to try and fill in, but um, I was, I was. <laughs> I don't know if you, I don't know if you can afford him. This is true. I mean, he's a big hot shot, you know, unknown indie actor. Yeah, it's just a little something on the command, side. He, he, I mean, he could command scale wage. Yeah, but if he wanted to, but that's going to, but that's going to the NHS. So you know, we you know we can't put that money aside. And I'm and I don't want to lie to him. Scoots, a, scoots, scoots a British citizen. It's going to the NHS, and I don't want to lie to him about where it's going. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to tell him things like All right. that. <laughs> You're listening to the Brexit podcast, <laughs> <laughs> where our views are as black and white as the people that are staying and going. Whoa. This is unfortunately true. Well, that's what most of population of the UK want. Oh, well, I don't know. We've got some grey gray opinions in there somewhere, I suppose, don't we? You know, in the same way that like a third generation, you know, uh, British citizen of Indian descent would be accosted by you know, a man from, let's say, Manchester, just to really make people upset. And he feels the need to be racist, but he's not quite sure why. It's that bitter yearning. It's very mm. it's very strange that, um, that uh, Scotland, of all people, do not want uh, the uh, said freedom. It's really must be getting their goat against their William Wallace ancestry. I was going to say, I mean, like if they can't reference that movie anymore, what what can they do as a nation? Yeah, well, I know we have to reference films. These, 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 these are the, these are the questions that we ask ourselves. This is what keeps us up late at night, ladies and gentlemen. There is a high possibility that all of this will get cut. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for uh, joining us once again. Uh, this week, uh, we are we're talking about the British Empire. And uh, in that, we uh, watched the, uh, the 1962 film Lawrence of Arabia. David Lean film, it doesn't really get much bigger and bolder than this. And I honestly, if I had to sum this up in any words whatsoever, it'd actually be the words of Omar Sharif. 
who I saw in an interview where he basically summed the movie up thusly, where he said that if you are a man with the money and somebody comes to you and says he wants to make a film that's four hours long with no stars and no women and no love story and not much action either and he wants to spend a huge amount of money to go film it in the desert, what would you say? I think that answers it perfectly. It's an, abs- it's, it's an absolute miracle that this film got made, even back then. Nowadays, never in a billion years would this film get made. Yeah, too. Yeah. Let's get right into it. This, this, film, this film shouldn't be made, but holy Christ, am I glad that it was made. Like this, Absolutely. it doesn't make I any sense I how really, mm. someone went. Yeah, let's let's do this. This will work. Let's throw untold amounts of money and men and time and technology into filming this, you know, gargantuan undertaking. And oh, to seal the deal, let's cast a guy that's never acted in a movie before as the lead character who is in every scene for almost four hours. And yeah, let's see how that works. You know, a budget of $15 million, you know, mm, that's estimated amount. today's standards, it's, that's I'd huge. have to assume would be, that'd be like Avatar yeah. levels of money today. And then made, I think it made like half of that. Mm. Like it did not, it wasn't a... Uh, you know, it wasn't a big film by any stretch. It was a in terms of response. Yeah, it is, and it is only after the fact that it has garnered um, almost perfect reviews. Yeah, although I mean, at the time, it it did do a pretty decent sweep at the Oscars. This is true. Yep, did um, director, sound editing, film editing, picture. And, uh, you know, those are just the ones that it won. I mean, Peter O'Toole picked up his first nomination for that, first of seven, and the man never won. You know, musical score by Marie Chiray, the cinematography by Freddie Young, which I'm sure we're going to go back to because um, for those of you who have seen the movie, you'll understand more than anything else, it is a very visual film, mm. almost almost pure in how little it, it – you know, sort of beholds itself to anything except what it shows. Yeah, it is. Um, though there isn't a uh, a love story in it, uh, at least in the first uh, the first part of this film, there is a a very large love of the desert, mm. which is uh, held onto by uh, by Peter O'Toole's character, uh, the titular T. E. Lawrence. T. E. Lawrence. Um, but also I think everyone who was making this film, they loved the, they loved the desert. They loved shooting it and, and capturing its magnificence. I think that has to be, I mean, as the, the, uh, Arab characters in this film point out, it's almost, uh, it's a peculiarity that's almost native only to, the people that don't have to live there. Mm. Yes, the you know the Arab man doesn't love the desert. He loves uh, green, you know, green trees and water. 
and water and things like that. There is nothing in the desert and no man needs nothing. Mm. Absolutely. And so it kind of it goes back. So this movie is in a way based on uh, a kind of a perversion almost. This is, you know, there's an adoration towards um, the desert that like by any measure of logic shouldn't actually exist. And I suppose we should start by saying, you know, has there ever been a stranger character at the lead of what by these days standards would be called a major blockbuster? Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, Peter O'Toole's, you know, T. T. Lawrence uh, was a, a real a real man. Um, this mm-hmm. is a, you know, he did, uh, this is based upon his writings. Um, and then there's and his experiences, yeah. you know, our, you know, Arabian Peninsula, World War One, you know, uniting the Arab tribes to take on the Turks to help out the British and uh, French, you know, in their uh, attempts to uh, take them down from uh, Europe. Mm. And so, in the process, he's torn between. Uh, the, the desire to belong in, you know, his home country and the societal mores that they've set up and then but also his complete lack of uh, ability to fit in with that crowd and then he finds, you know, this new world of the desert of the Arab tribes and finds a new kind of uh, feeling of home, you know, homeliness and... Uh, attraction mm. really and then it, it and then, it then goes beyond mm. that as well like it it shows that perversion and then it shows you know it's the the film starts off um with um you know this depiction of what the englishmen see the arab people as um and then um it it goes forth and it it then shows you it shows you that manifest that manifested mm. um, only under uh, the tutelage of said Englishman who did describe them at the very, you know, the first half hour. He's calling mm, their barbarism. A, a little and, people. Yeah. Yeah, little people, a silly people. Mm. And then he turns, you know, there's there's a, a very big part of it that he then causes them to be that that sort of thing. So it is it, mm. it not only um, romanticizes that perversion, but it also flips that on its head and it it then understands that what it's what it is in fact doing it knows that it's as much in the wrong as it is in the right to show the beauty of this that it is not all you know sunshine and lollipops no there is an inherent violence in you know that part of the world not only in the land but in the the, the, the cultures that have been forced to take up re- residence and almost by necessity have retained uh, a kind of a necessary level of august brutality just purely because that's how you survive. Mm. Yeah, and that's shown by, you know, when we first see, uh, we're first inter- introduced to Omar Sharif, uh, Sharif Ali, um, it, mm. is, uh, it is him, uh, is him murdering a man. For drinking, for yeah. drinking from his well um, when he shouldn't have, um, and that's you know that person 
which uh, it's a very interesting way to introduce a character to us who becomes so beloved. Yeah. yeah. Because I mean, in any other film, that's it. He's just been set up as, if not, you know, the villain, then like a minor henchman yeah. or something like that. He is that. a man, he is man garbed in black who then murders a man. Mm. After making a very dramatic, you know, slow mm. emergence from the distance, mm. you know, terror built up in the, you know, peripheral characters. And then, yeah, suddenly he is nowhere near the the beast that uh, Lawrence becomes by the film's conclusion. Yeah, and it is, yeah, there's, they, they, he did that, you know, Sharif did that out of necessity because that is, that is the, the law of the land. Mm. You know, it is brought up and, you know, it's brought up at that point and it then informs parts of the film following um, yeah, it's a very, it's a very, you know, for its time, I have to say, a very progressive way of looking at Arab culture, in the sense that it it just depicts what occurs as like the camera just regards it implacably. Mm. Really, there's no sense of painting it for horror's sake or anything like that. It's a a question of you know honor and tradition and more than anything else uh, a necessity of survival mm. and it kind of goes a long way towards sort of uh, uh, chastising the audience in a sense even, even if it does it subliminally by not you know doing what you would expect them to do with these characters yeah it's very much you know we are still in a time where that is that fear um of of many arab people and so this film what i really love about this is that it shows that the true barbarism that we like that western society believed to have come from that from that time and that those people um, is not, it, it is only made true manifest by ourselves, Mm. by us perverting, uh, the land for our own means and the people, uh, to be, you know, to our will. Yeah. It's a kind of like strange, um, Western presumption that, you know, like still happens, you know, now nothing's changed really, you know, this, uh, yeah, presumption that everyone wants what we have Mm. and that, you know, it's all kind of, you know, everyone desires democracy. Everyone desires to live in a city with all the, accoutrements of the civilized Western world when then as to be frank now, I I think it's like pretty damn obvious that like not every country in the world is suited for democracy. Well, it's not suited to, uh, it's, it's not a one size fits all thing. And for any one person to think that, um, you know, basically gentrifying, um, an entire uh, landscape that they do not truly understand 
is wrong and it will it will cause ill on the people. Yeah. It's quite a curious though, because I mean I, I noticed so many parallels between um you've seen the green zone, haven't you? Um I don't believe I have, no. Paul Greengrass film mm-hmm. with uh, Matt Damon about the uh, you know Iraq War WMD and everything like that. Yeah, I don't know if I had ring a bell. Yeah. Oh well, anyway, there's this scene. There's a scene in that movie where I mean, there's the the standard sort of uh, action thriller tale that's going on um, with Matt Damon's character, but then in the background, there's this other story going on about how. You know, one uh, side of the crew wants to keep all of Saddam's generals and underlings in power to maintain a a structure of authority in the the midst of the otherwise complete collapse of this country, mm-hmm. whereas America wants to create a new democracy with. Uh, uh, figurehead uh, that uh, I think it was Karzai, although I could be wrong, he might have come after, but basically a guy that had been in exile for, um, you know, 20 years or some such, brought him in as this guy that claimed to know what the Arabs wanted, tried to set up a whole council. And there's a scene towards the end of Green Zone where this meeting is disintegrating into chaos and it is a mirror image of of the Arab the United Ara- Council, Arab Council yeah. just collapsing into uh, disarray in Lawrence of Arabia and it's just this beautiful mirror image to see that you know 70 80 years on quite literally nothing has changed mm. and it, what's very strange about even that's so the scene in uh, in Lawrence of Arabia is that it's it's Lawrence himself who's saying that no, you cannot, um, you know, if we ask for aid, um, we are in ruin. And it's like, well, you, buddy, you, do you not see what's happening already? Um, you can't just push yourself into this and expect people, you know, expect people who are not engineers uh, to. Um, take over a power generator. Um, yeah. And, you know, when they speak of it as machines, um, they do not, large machines, they don't understand it. So how could they, you know, they do not have the expertise for this. Um, it's yeah. very strange um, to see it and to see it, you know, back 50 odd years ago and uh, similar mistakes have been uh, made. And I believe that this, you know, Lawrence Arabia, shows that, um, you know, heed a message that it's giving. Mm. I think it, um, this film has a great respect for uh, the land, uh, the people, and the audience themselves. Yeah. And you sort of, it's, you see it in the way that the movie's shot, in the way that it's composed and how scenes are, are played out. It's, uh, it, it 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 gives the audience the benefit of, benefit of the doubt in terms of intelligence. Mm. I mean, there's there's a reason that this movie is almost four hours long, and that's because it takes its time. It's because it allows scenes to play out at a languorous, natural pace. 
you see like all of the early scenes, you know, like, I mean, you, you know, in any other movie, the first half of Lawrence of Arabia would be conflated into about 30 minutes. Yeah. Well, it's, it's very interesting that the first, so the only um, real quotable line from it that everyone knows, uh, thanks in part to Prometheus, mm. is in the first 15 minutes, and that's there, it's such a departure from it then. It's like, yeah, that's a nice little introduction, and it's like, bam, all right, we're off yeah. and running. Here comes the actual film. That's- yeah, and, and into into a into an into a place where, ironically, the um, the movie starts to mirror the the nature of the land, where where talk is not nearly as important as action, mm. and so you see dialogue slowly but surely as the movie progresses just start to drift away and when we yeah we're left to come up with our own um reasonings for this in particular yeah uh the machinations of lawrence um because he exactly. is very much There's- an enigma uh throughout this um there's so much of his uh character that was unknowable simply because it was unknowable or in the film is unknowable because it just wasn't germane to portray certain facets of his character back in 1962. But the, the, the beauty of the film is that it's all there if you want to see it. You know, the, uh, the social awkwardness, the... Uh, masochism, especially, mm. I've noticed on, on subsequent viewings, you know, putting out putting out the match with you know his finger in the first that first scene and having that line. The trick is not minding that it hurts. You know, who says that? Yeah, that's uh, that's sort of um, you know, if it wasn't said by Peter O'Toole, uh, you could have sworn that it's said by a uh, by a serial killer. Yeah, exactly. Or um, you know, in the 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 uh, train derailing scene where they where they attack the uh, train and that uh, rogue soldier shoots him in the shoulder. He doesn't seem to mind all that much. Mm. No, not at all. He, he in he, fact, he, relishes yeah, it. He, he ver- yeah, he very quickly begins to enjoy it. Yeah. And, you know, there's that kind of, yeah, there's a strangeness to it. And I don't think, and I mean, you know, there's also the, the, the question of his, you know, sexual orientation, which I think now most people seem to agree that, you know, he was gay, but obviously you could never portray that at the time. But they still, you know, dropped so many subtle hints left, right and centre and in so doing paint such a, a more organic yeah. Character. Yeah, they didn't allow it. To, so, yeah, Peter O'Toole's performance. It, yeah, um, exactly. And I don't think any other man except O'Toole could have done that. This, like, strange combination of, you know, his looks, which were insanely beautiful, mm. you know, back, back when he was young, coupled with the awkwardness of his physicality. Yeah, and he did. And then – you know, his voice as well, which had this beautiful, you know, velvety sense of old school British authority, but like it could also be portrayed as insolent at the same time. Mm. It could be kindly or dickish and, 
Yeah, so it's it's all. It was there. yeah, it was very and audacious. Um, you know, his performance um, did have you know this is a man of the theater, and he did play up the theatrics of yeah. of Lawrence. Uh, but I don't think that was a bad thing. No, it's because it, it does lean into the subtext that, uh, you know, the unspoken uh, subtext of it. And mm. but it, it really enriches uh, both his performance and performances of others. Yeah, because, I mean, this was a this was a man who was larger than life. And so playing it, you know, method, you know, internal you know, roiling emotions bubbling beneath the surface just wouldn't have worked for this. No, you could have character. you could have done the you know the uh, the strong man, the stoic, the you know having a stoic um, leading man type in this film, and it would have fallen apart at the seams. Exactly. Yeah. This is a film that you know. I don't. I don't know how it was made. Um, this is catching lightning in a bottle and everything yeah. fell into place that made it worthwhile for it to be made in such a way. So many things could have gone wrong in doing it. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you hear about, you know, the stories from the set and the movie obviously had its, you know, fair share of uh, difficulties on set, but at the end of the day, the the result is just there on the the screen for you to see mm. it is it is quite simply one of the most beautiful pictures ever made yeah and it is it is a real shame that uh i I'm, I'm sure uh, you watching this uh was on um either a television or a laptop it was on a television, more's the pity, because that is absolutely not the way this movie needs to be seen. And what's sadder still is I don't know if we're going to be able to see this in its truest, um, you know, viewing. In a theatre, yeah, 70 I mean, mil projector. 70 millimetre, exactly. Because that's the only way, because, I mean, we, you and I can appreciate the power of the, the film and the grandeur of its craftsmanship and you know the legacy of it all you know this movie is more than it's more than 50 years old now it's almost uh to, you know it's 55 almost <clears throat> and but there's certain scenes like you know omar sharif's first appearance as a speck on the horizon that on a TV just loses all meaning. Yeah. Because you say, because you say, what, what am I looking at on a gigantic screen with the proper grandeur of the 70 millimeter, with the detail of the resolution of the widescreen and everything with the soundtrack blaring at you from the speakers. I haven't seen it like that, but I have to assume that it would just carry you to another level in terms of uh, viewing experience. Yeah. And it's, yeah, this is made for the seventy mil treatment. It, you know, it's got an intermission in it. Like it was made for that. Well, it's it's the it's the classic, you know, old school epic movies from the sixties, like you know, this, like Doctor Zavago, which uh, David Lean made just after, with, like Ben Hur, yeah. you know, with Willie Wyler, or you know, uh, Cecil B. DeMille's, you know, The Ten Commandments. All those old school movies. I mean. 
it's sort of, you know, back in the day where you would go to the movies to see these because that, that was the only place you could see films like this. Yeah, it was an outing. This was an experience yeah. much like going to the opera or the theatre. It was an event. Yeah. You know, you dress up to go see that shit. Yeah, and it, this is a, a film that does play into uh, that sort of uh, regality and uh, uh, excess. Yeah, but again, excess not in a way that I think people would expect. Well, and certainly not in the way that people would expect now. Well, it plays so it plays into it, um, but it also um, you know turns it on its head. Yeah, like, it subverts the notion. I can't imagine many people would have been uh, too happy uh, in various parts of this film mm. um, on on viewing it. Um, it must have been very strange for the time. That's why I would assume that that, that is what led to it not making as much money as it as it basically cost, um, despite being critically acclaimed. Yeah. Well, I found I heard a very, you know, interesting story because I was uh, reading through Roger Ebert's um, uh, analysis of the film, like, you know, his review and everything like that. And so they did a uh, a big remaster of the film in uh, 1989. Yeah, because the, um, the, the, the reels were damaged. Yeah, so... These film restorers, uh, Robert A. Harris and Jim Payton, they discovered the original negative in Columbia Studios' vaults, mm. just in crushed, rusting film cans, and had to put it together like one crumbling frame at a time. Yeah, that's which I can't, I can't even fathom, and it's nuts because I've got the the, the Blu-ray remaster, and it looks like it was shot last week. Absolutely. It's, it's just, it's, it's just amazing. And it's, it's, in, it's, so it's honestly incredible that the film actually still survives in a format that people can view now. And it's, it's, it's a shame because in, in the same sense that perhaps not everyone understood the, the film back then, although obviously a certain, you know, uh, portion of the crowd did to give it the acclaim that it got at the Oscars and everything like that. But I mean, could you can you imagine a film like this doing well today? I'd I'd find it very hard to. Um, we're not, you know, to to be filmed in the way it did. Uh, we had to do, you know, it was a film that had to be shot by Tarantino. So that's the last time that a film like this has been shot. Um, then we're looking at, you know. Uh, a look at, um, you know, uh, the people of the Middle East, um, that's not going to happen this day and age. And, mm. like, that's, yeah, that's really not going to work out. Yeah. I mean, and try the fact that in 227 minutes of runtime, there is not a single female speaking role. No, they are... They're in like one scene. Um, yeah, and I'd say only one scene. Do you actually see females actually doing anything except being extras or 
being dead. Mm. And it's um, just before they uh, kick on off to Akaba with Aouda. And you see all the, the females uh, doing the, the tribal cries yeah. as like a, a farewell. But that's it. Yeah. And, you know, that could, <laughs> that, that would, that, that's nothing. That's, it's insanity. Like, mm. um, I mean, the fact that there's blackface. Yeah, Alec, you know, Alec Guinness in this movie. is in, in this in this film, and he is playing the uh, you know Prince uh, Faisal, Prince Prince Faisal, Faisal yeah. So, yeah. But, but also Anthony, Anthony Quinn. Quinn, who is a who is a uh, a Mexican man, or is he Spanish? Mexican, but Mexican by birth. Mexican yeah. by birth. Um, so he's playing uh, Adua. Like this is like that's like Omar Sharif. Is the Egyptian man in this? He, he, he's Egyptian. He was already a star when this movie actually. Yeah, he's was. probably the biggest star of this film, um, aside from Alec Guinness. Mm. I mean, and to, to be fair, also there was um, uh, Jose Ferrer, who played um, the Turkish Bay. Mm-hmm. Who it's heavily implied? Oh yes, right, right, raped Lawrence. Yes. Well, yeah, that was a lot of, uh, you know, as he goes uh, up. Yeah, he was. was, He had his shirt off and smoking whilst uh, Lawrence was being um, tamed. It had all that subtext in there. Once again, it's not. It it is showing you enough to lead your mind to that place, but it never states these facts. Yeah, well, I mean, this guy was uh, a legend. He's a he's Puerto Rican by, mm. uh, you know, birth, but he won an Academy Award in 1950. Oh wow! So he's been going at it for for for, for Serrano de Bergerac, Ooh. and uh, so like he was already big, and so he actually got paid more than O'Toole and Sharif combined. Wow. He was not in it for very long at all. Ten minutes, if 25, that. Twenty five, twenty, twenty five thousand dollars. Wow. Plus a Porsche, and that was more than what the two main characters of the film got paid as well. It pays to be Bay. Sometimes, sometimes I don't know. Sometimes the exchange rate just fucks with me. I just can't mm. believe that like twenty five thousand used to be considered a lot of money. I mean, I consider it a lot now, but that's because I'm broke. But you know, <laughs> yeah, that's that's not an that's not an accurate you know representation. Yeah, that doesn't of, that doesn't inflate. No, like You're broke, not at broke. all. Yeah, mm. I was. Well, we shouldn't discount Claude Rains as well as Mr. Dryden. Dryden. Oh, he's fantastic in this. Just being the uh, what was his actual like? Was he? He just looks like the the man. The, the businessman on top who runs it all. Yeah, he was like a like a, a global French, fixer. He was a French like a French like attaché or something like that. Some guy with no job title, but you know who was super important and made all the decisions. Mm. I mean, he'd already achieved uh, you know legend for being Captain Renault in Casablanca back in 1942. Oh, oh yes. You know the guy that. Uh, Walks off into the the mist with uh, Humphrey Bogart's Rick. The beautiful you know, friendship. Says, uh, yeah, this I think this is going to be the start of a beautiful friendship. So, it this was a movie that yeah it could it filled out the the supporting actors with you know people that you know they knew could do a good job. I suppose it's strange to think of 
bits in terms of, you know, using blackface and everything. I mean, uh, we could talk about this a lot. I mean, I would argue that back then there might not have been the wealth of talent to draw upon from nations like, uh, you know, Turkey or Egypt or Jordan where they filmed them and so were forced to go for characters, uh, for actors uh, dressing up. But then at the same time, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I know for a fact, oh, no, I know for a fact now that there's no excuse, but we have seen so many movies recently. That still uses it as an excuse that there's no, there's no people out there. But it, I think, yeah, so it, it's even, it's even stretched, you know, an a, a Puerto Rican man, you know, a, a Mexican man, even them getting those roles is still like, yeah, it's a very strange thing that Hollywood does in change, swapping out people of. I think, yeah, I think, I think it has to do with like, a relic of um, this notion of uh, bankable names that is very like is is dying out quite fast, I think, in in Hollywood, but still somehow manages to to cling on because I think I don't like I don't think many people would. You can't really sell a movie on who's in it anymore. No, this isn't. There's maybe yeah a handful of people that can, by their very name alone, open a movie for, you know, a big, you know, a really big uh, box office take. I'd say Tom Cruise is one, Will Smith is another, and maybe Harrison Ford if it's Indiana Jones yeah. or something like that. And then and then even then with, you know, Will Smith and Tom Cruise, um, even then, we'll see how they go with Jack Reacher two and Suicide Squad. Exactly, and yeah. even then, I don't. Well, I, Jack Reacher seems to be the one uh, that you know. Obviously, it's Tom Cruise um, in this, but uh, Suicide Squad. I would uh, I would argue that uh, Margot Robbie is more of a draw than uh, well, than I mean, Smith. That's, it's certainly like they certainly seem to be focusing more and more on her in the trailers. She's the character that everyone's excited about. They're already planning a spin-off movie just for her. So, I mean, there's every indication that she's the one that's going to walk away with it. Yeah. And that's the that's the thing that confuses me because if you look at a movie like, you know, Ridley Scott's Exodus. Yeah. So that's or, another um, one or, that uh... – or more, or more recently, um, uh, Gods of Egypt, mm-hmm. the new Alec Proyas, Alex Proyas film. Yes, the car crash. Yes, exactly. That gloriously abominable car crash of a it's film. Like a Rolls Royce crashing. You see both of those movies, and it's all Anglo actors being cast as, um, you know, Egyptians. Yeah, and it's just it's just absolute insanity. I remember reading an interview with Ridley Scott where they asked him, "Look, why did you whitewash this film?" And he said. You're not going to get 150 million dollars of funding by casting Muhammad so and so in this, which is <laughs> well, Lawrence of Arabia had a man named Omar in it. <laughs> yeah, so it can so, be done. Um, you that's know. a thing, and and especially nowadays where people don't really care that you're a movie star as much anymore because with social media, everyone's their own star now. So I mean. 
there's there's that lack of disconnect yeah. between the two worlds now. So I think now people will just want to see a movie that's good, and I don't give a shit whether the actor's known or unknown. And yet the studios keep wanting to hang on to this idea that if it's a known quantity, it's going to do better. Yeah, and it's – yeah. It's no longer the days where, you know, Sir Ben Kingsley uh, is playing Gandhi. You know, we can actually have and should have the actors uh, be of the same nationality of the people they're trying to portray. Or at the very least, make the character agnostic, uh, you know, gender and race agnostic like we saw in Sunshine. Mm. Although to be fair, I mean, uh, Kingsley is half Indian. He was, he is half Indian. Yes. He was, his, his birth name was Krishna Banji. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, fuck. I look a fool then. I did not know that. I did not know that. That's insane. <laughs> no, no, legit. Yeah. His dad was born in Kenya and was of uh, Gujarati Indian descent. Wow. And his great, his grandfather was, uh, trader who lived in India and then moved to Zanzibar and his mother was British. That's quite the trek. And so he, so he, I mean, so, I mean, he was born in, in Yorkshire. And so he kept, but, uh, but he, but he, but he, uh, he has the, he has the, uh, but Ben Kingsley is not his genetics. No. Wow. But then he changed his name for it. Oh, I think it's his stage name. Ah, gotcha. And then the Sir. So he's not technically Sir Ben Kingsley. He's well. I don't know. I don't know if he made the change legit, yeah. legit or not. I don't know that much. But yeah, no, no. Yeah, no. see, he, that's um, where I, that's where I, I always I always assume that Ben Kingsley was um, his birth name, and that's you know played into he was he was of British pure British descent. Mm. Well, he was certainly born and raised British, mm. but. Uh, but it, but it was but it's funny, and I know we're going off on a tangent now, but it kind of worked for the character because the whole point of you know Mahandas Gandhi was that he was born in India, but then fucked off to South Africa and became a a hotshot lawyer for yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah, you know X number of years, and then came back to India and was almost a stranger in his own land. Mm. So having that, the, you know, oh, the, okay, that does paint that in. It doesn't. I don't think it takes away from the point that we're trying to make, but it, that's that is no, an interesting no, 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 but sort of characterization of thing. But the thing I kind of like, you know, found amazing about like you know Gandhi and Lawrence of Arabia both was that both of those guys, O'Toole and Kingsley, it was the first movie they'd ever done. It blows my mind that this is the first film that O'Toole has has done. Like, I mean, he so has let's, been I mean, let's, let's 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 give the man credit. I mean, he. He did acting school. He went to one of the best acting schools on the planet. He'd been in, you know, countless stage plays and everything like that. But, uh, you know, film acting is different. But to see someone just take to it so quickly and easily. Yeah, and then still he knew where to bring in his theatre acting to make yeah. this role shine. As, as we said before, the theatrics that he brought in uh, – played off the character itself. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, there was a, there was a bigness to the, the performing. Yeah, the gr- that, a grandeur. You know, mir- yeah. A grandeur. 
And that's that's kind of a word that actually I want to sort of touch on for a minute or two because, I mean, uh, this film is grand. There's no mm. there's no denying that for a second. And I mean, if you ask someone to say, you know, what the genre is of this film, they would say like an, an epic, an historical epic, or something like that. But now, every movie with a $150 million budget is called an epic. Yeah. Well, people would say that and Exodus I, I, is, I, is an epic film. Yeah. And so I kind of wanted to touch on that in terms of the difference between now and then. So I mean, like, you know, what would you define as an epic film? Well, see, so yeah, it really is a, you know, a pre and post sort of Hollywood. Um, whereas an epic then allowed a film to breathe mm. um, and it and it showed great majesty in the craft from of all aspects you know in the in the sound design in the um, in the directing in the cinematography in the acting itself um, it it allowed it to breathe and and to really play itself up to its fullest extent. Um, I think epic films nowadays are about scale. It's the Michael Bay, uh, you know, the more you know, bloodshed and destruction and the stakes being ever higher, a Roland Emmerich film, basically. Yeah, well, I mean, it's funny we're talking about this uh, this film this week when, uh, you know, 20 years hence from... Uh, the first one coming out, we've got a, a brand new Independence Day movie, which has absolutely upped the the scale and the the technology and the vividness of the destruction going on on the screen. But does that make it more epic than the movie that, to be fair, blew my mind back in nineteen ninety six? Yeah, it's and then. It's it that because I don't think it, I don't, I don't think it I don't think I don't think it does. I think the first one was far more epic because of the way it makes the audience feel. Um, mm. The you know, and there it is. Yeah, it is the feelings. That it's it, about it's about the ideas. Yeah, and you know, Lawrence of Arabia does not have an epic story per se. I think if you just held it up on you know. The plot, you know, plot points, it would fall down very quickly. Yeah, the plot is, for the most part, almost non-existent. He wants to go. He wants to go to Arabia. He doesn't. He does. He doesn't. I mean, that's not that's not to put a kibosh on the sort of emotional through line of uh, what O'Toole does with Lawrence in terms of him coming to deal with. Well, I think it shows his own insecurities and strangeness. I think, like, if anything, the 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 plot jumping all over the place kind of mirrors Lawrence's own sense of confusion and uncertainty about where he sits in the world. Mm, and I think it does it does um, it does bewilder you um, from like when it starts happening, but that it happens so often that you start to understand what's going on. That this yeah. is not as cut and dry as you would think this man, you know, I thought I had, you know, the ending of this film pegged, you know, 
quite easily. You know, of course, the English would um, you know turn against Lawrence, and then he would uh, he would do an uprising against the people. He would go last to the Mohicans on them. <laughs> yeah, um, and it was like, oh, yep, I know exactly what's going on with this, and then it kept it kept weaving. Um, it, it showed uh, Lawrence's own malice. Uh, then it showed him uh, him being, you know, giving in to his his masochism uh, almost. Uh, when he gets he gets caned, it's almost that he's he's denying himself enjoyment from it, mm. which is very it's very <laughs> it's that's a very deep moment for a film to take of any time. Um, yeah, let alone back. Yeah, then. it's it's got but so it, much involved in it. Um, it's a movie that almost stands on its own as a singular entity. I mean, uh, you know, we we can talk about it in detail because we we watched it so recently. But um, if if you'd asked me, you know, before I refreshed myself on this film to sort of really talk about it. I don't think I could have really gone into an enormous amount of detail. Yeah, you could you could have gone because because I, I could rec- I, yeah, I mean I could recount to you what the experience of watching the film was mm-hmm. like. But I don't think I could really ever you know specify particular moments or put it into words in that sense <laughs> and that's because it's not a traditional you know, epic narrative film. It's far more, it's, it's visually based. It's almost like, um, you know, Kubrick 2001. Mm. It's a, it's a story that is entirely based upon what you see and how that makes you feel. And the story is, is almost incidental more so in 2001, a lot less in, in Lawrence, but it's, it's the passages in between the dialogue. Mm. And it is, it's, like the yeah. first, so up until uh, Akbar, it does have. You could probably, you know, if you were straining yourself, you could probably go. Yes, you know, of course, the film is about a man who goes to uh, goes to the Middle East. Uh, he befriends uh, the Mary, the various tribes um, to bring them all under one uh, flag of being Arab. Uh, they make a mad dash uh, miracle to take on. Uh, the Turks and, uh, you know, the one man, you know, it, yeah, it is the last of Mohicans thing. He goes back in the desert to defy God himself, um, you know, and, you know, he states that nothing is written. You know, we are the ones who write it and it's all very, you know, uplifting sort of thing. It's very grand. Um, you could probably yeah, do there's that. there's also a real arrogance to it. Oh, it's it, – well, and then – and that's and that's where it takes the right hand turn. Yes, that's so it 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 sets up all these things. It sets up this you know this is this is a man who who knows exactly what he's doing. He he has the he has the will of God with him almost. Um, but it's like one he's also a man who's believing his own hype. Yeah, um, and you're seeing what that does to a man. Um, you're seeing what happens when he gives into you know his his bloodlust um you know it starts off that he can't kill um unless he absolutely has to um you know it's they make a big deal that um you know it's him killing for conflict resolution or to uh to put his um 
his ward out of his misery. You know, yeah. after you know, witnessing you know, after after leading another one of his wards uh, to his death. So it's mm. it's a man twisting and turning over time, which you could have left. You could have left him be a hero. Mm. Uh, just a, yeah, just a, a Hollywood hero. Well, I think if you wanted him to be a hero, you'd end the film after he crosses the Sinai and gets back to Cairo and basically says, "We won." Yeah, he comes back. He comes back in his in his garb and he casts and, off. He doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't become major. He he goes back into he goes back in, into the desert, and we don't hear from him again. Yeah, um, that's that. Yeah, that's what I think. That's what the film nowadays would be. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. You know, any any film now like would never end with the whimper that this one did. Yeah. Well, it, it, of this man battered and beaten and basically past his use by date, like they don't need him anymore. Yeah. And they, they show you, and so they, they show you his yeah. end in the first five minutes. Yeah. So you, so you've got this overarching sense of, I mean, not futility, but, foreboding or just uh, yeah a, a sense of like just understanding that like despite everything he did he was just a man and he died the way so many others die every year yeah he believed yeah he believed himself more um and he he may have been more than just a man at that at one point in time but it is only we, for yeah. one point in all, time. Yeah. And we all die the same. Yeah. Well, we all end up, we all end up dead. Some of yeah. us in a, in a motorcycle accident, some of us in quicksand, um, you know, some of us in our sleep, but it's, it's the great uh, equalizer. Exactly. Yeah. I want to talk about, um, Omar Sharif's character more mm. because, you know, we've gotten into um, O'Toole um, and his performance and the way he's, um, you know, characterised Lawrence. Um, Sharif has really, like, he's also gone on his, you know, we talked about it before, that he starts off, basically he could be the, the great antagonist. He becomes... Mm. Um, you know, a trusted friend, and it, you know, there's the there's great love between the two. Mm, exactly, um, and he's got that same kind of um, attitude that o, O'Toole brings to Lawrence in his character. This kind of uh, louche sense of sensuality and authority. Mm. To his role that makes him this incredibly intoxicating and uh, attractive character. Yeah, I I absolutely loved watching every moment where Omar Sharif was on on screen because he's just he exudes a confidence in his acting. Yeah, he knows exactly what he's doing, and. And it's not cocky. It is just very confident in what he's doing and, and where he's going with this character. You know, the the emotional um, 
fortitude that he has to bring across, you know, in the in the moment where we see Lawrence's barbarism, uh, where he has become what he was saying that Sharif uh, was, you know, yeah, that he has such cruelty in him that uh, he will, ne- you know, which is far unlike uh, Western man. Um, you know, you see uh, Sharif cry. Yeah, and it is that is is so moving that you you truly understand what has happened to Lawrence. You know what's been lost. Yeah, this is you know, and they they do talk about it, and and he does have to basically say no, no, he did not. Um, you know, he 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 is the same man, uh, but humbled. Um, that is that is who he is since he came back uh, from Cairo. Um, you know, he is. This is still the great man, um, but you can you could see that he's he, not. He does not mean that. He is still. He slowly, yeah, comes to terms with what's what Lawrence has lost from himself, but then also what what they've lost. Yeah, what everyone's as, lost as 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 friends and companions, and you know, very very close friends. Yeah, that this is. Yeah, this is, and that you do see how that war does change soldiers, and it does change young men, um, and that they are truly pawns of, uh, you know, as Alec Guinness uh, says later on, that um, yeah, war is the province of young men making the peace is the province of the old. Yeah. And, you know, this is what we're doing now and it is not your time for it. And, and you know, it's the old men who um, who pick up the pieces um, and pick up the and pieces forge. of the young men as well um, yeah. because they have and given themselves uh, to, to create re- this resolution for the old men. Yeah. So, I mean, it's – but it is that curious thing of, you know, Step aside now. It's our it's our turn to uh, fix things up. But they fix things up uh, according to what their wants and needs are. Never mind the the bloodshed and destruction and devastation that has been wrought on these young men that have spent their bodies and their minds. Yeah, and it, in service of their country. And and that's something that you know there are many uh, veterans who. Uh, who are, you know, suffer deeply from PTSD just from this very thing of being the young men that are put into play and they don't have a say in anything but to go and, you know, as they, as uh, Lawrence was made to do, to create chaos. So, look, you see it quite strangely enough in the uh, British exit referendum where overwhelmingly the voters who voted to leave were old and the ones that voted to stay were young. Yeah, it's and, – and, yeah, it does – oftentimes it is the will of the old supersedes that. And that's not to say that in some cases that it's not for the best, but um, we do see it in, you know, in, in Lawrence of Arabia, the, uh, the effects it has on people. And uh, and we're going to see the effects that it has on the on the world um, of the uh, of the Brexit as well. Mm. 
Indeed. It is it is curious that, you know, we, we talk about this movie because now this is I don't know how successful they're going to be. My my long form guess is probably not going to be very much. But this is a Britain that once again wants to try and make its mark upon the world to become a player in its own right and reassert itself as an authority. Yeah, get back in touch with the Commonwealth. Get back in touch with what it was, which is the British in this, Empire. In, 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 yeah, in this movie. Yeah, this is you know, are we going to see the, you know, and, and um, the real life Lawrence did work under Winston Churchill. Is is that yeah. is that where we're we're heading towards? Are we going towards a, a Churchill administration where it is um, it is it is hungry for for war, like, and that's a. That's a that's a scary thing to uh, to ponder. Is. I think only time will tell on that one. Yes. Well, I think we've we've hit the somber note. I don't know if you can get much more somber than that. Yeah, I think we started it off with the Brexit, and we're. And we've sealed the deal with the Brexit as well. Yeah, and we've we've tied it all back. And I, yeah, look at that go. All these like nice little got a little bow on it and everything. Mm. You know, we don't we don't we don't you know what we have can't be taught. We don't ask to be this good at our job. <laughs> we just um we just naturally are. Strangely enough, at this point, we would um, be talking about what film we're going to discuss next week but uh i don't know what we're going to talk about next yeah, week we're, uh, we haven't de- we, we haven't decided yet dear, dear listeners you're uh, you're now uh, going behind the scenes i guess god i've just we've just george rr R. martin to this podcast oh no oh well everyone else, everyone else is going to be ahead of us now well so you know what it's going to be a surprise. It's going to be a surprise. We'll probably, um, you know, follow us on on Facebook. We'll post up, uh, you know, we'll post up a trailer for uh, what we'll uh, what we'll do next. Um, if you do have a, a suggestion for us um, to take the the burden of us uh, having to choose off our it shoulders, it is a lofty it is a lofty burden, and I'm 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 kind of, I'm pretty tired. So yeah, as as you've you may have uh, been able to tell. Uh, dear listeners, uh, we choose um, different films time and time again. Um, we like to challenge ourselves uh, by by going over different genres. You know, financial uh, documentary, so docudramas, then sci-fi horror films. Now, a true I mean, at epic the end of the film. Day- yeah, but at the end of the day, I think we just want to talk about films that we like or mm. at least interest us. Yeah. You know, I'll take I'll take an interest I'll take a bad interesting film over, you know, a good boring one any day of the week. So that's basically what we're after. There's no rhyme or reason to these choices. It's it's something that we think is important and if you've got a film that you think is important or interesting enough that's it's worthy of our trying to dissect it for an hour or so. Let us know, guys. Yeah, 
as always, uh, follow us on uh, follow us on the social media. Um, you know, Facebook. You can find all of the links there at our website from thesilverscreen.com. Um, we are on iTunes, so uh, please, if you enjoy the uh, the podcast, please leave us a review. Um, give us five stars. Um, I know everyone says this at the end of their podcast and all of that. It does, uh, it does help. Um, especially, uh, the smaller podcasts, uh, like ourselves. Um, we do rely a lot on, uh, on your aid for us to get to, uh, more listeners so we can impart our opinions elsewhere. Um, than just uh, than just to ourselves. Here, here. Yeah. So, thanks very much, Damien. This was. Oh, thank you, Josh. This was a really good film that I'm glad we got to got to see, and I do hope our listeners once again do take the time uh, to to watch the film. It is a big ask. But it is a big ask. Set aside four hours for yourself. It has an intermission. If you want to do it half and half over two nights or something like that, you can do that as well. But do take there's the time. A reason that they do take the time. There's a reason this film is generally regarded as one of the most important and amazing films ever made. And we can wax lyrical all we want, but at the end of the day, no review or evidence is going to be better than you sitting down and watching it yourself. Couldn't have said it better myself. Until next week, thanks for listening. Toodle-oo.